words in his public ministry are words of an intense appeal for faith. You need to believe. And I want to to summarize this appeal for us tonight, this appeal for genuine belief with four concise thoughts. Four concise thoughts. And maybe they'll come on the heels of what we talked about this morning and the implications of the reality of justifying faith. And by God's design, that's probably going to happen just in our own minds. But, but I just want to tie in for us these four concise thoughts about genuine belief that come from the words of Jesus Christ right here. I'll just list them for us, and then we'll begin to walk through them so that you can see them in the text. Number one is this. You cannot truly believe in God without truly believing in Jesus Christ. You cannot truly believe in God unless you also, and at the same time, truly believe in Jesus Christ. We'll see that. That's that's a reference in reality to the deity of Christ. You cannot say you have a relationship with God and deny in any kind of fashion the deity of Christ. We'll see that in verses 44 and 45. Number two, you cannot escape sin. You cannot escape the darkness, metaphor for sinfulness, the realm in which we all are living before Christ. You cannot escape that unless you truly believe in Christ. So you cannot say you believe in God and not believe in Jesus Christ, and you cannot escape sin unless you believe in Christ. This is the doctrine of deliverance. Deliverance through Jesus Christ. We'll see that in verse 46. Third, you cannot blame God for judging disbelief. You cannot blame God for judging disbelief. This is the reality and the idea that man is responsible before God to believe. Man is responsible before God to believe. We'll see that in verse 47 through 49. And then, of course, number four, when you reject Christ, you reject eternal life. When you reject Christ, you reject eternal life. We'll see that in verse 50. So these are the four thoughts that I want to hang our thoughts on about genuine belief or genuine faith. These are the final words that have to be realized by all of mankind. These are the final words of the Savior of the world, the final things that he says that need to be realized by everybody. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself, and he wants to leave them indelibly imprinted in our minds. The purpose for Jesus coming to earth was that people might believe, and that through believing they would be saved. And for that reason, he reminds all of us of these truths in these final words. Remember what he has just said to the people. Man would not believe because they could not believe. This is the impossibility of the reality. Man is blinded. Remember Isaiah says, "Who who has listened to us? Who has believed our report? And the issue is, who could? Remember that from the last time we were here? Who could believe our report? This is the reality of men. Men would not believe because men cannot believe, and because they are in that lost state, even those who are saying that they did believe were not truly believing 
because they were not confessing Christ. Why were they false believers? Because you cannot truly know God without knowing Christ. You cannot truly know God without knowing Christ. You cannot say, I believe in God and have no relationship, no no desire for relationship, no idea about the reality of the deity of Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 44 and 45. Jesus cries out after he says that. They love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cries out and said, He who believes in me. All right, I'm going to call you out. You say you believe in God. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but believes in him who sent me. In other words, there is an inextricable link between me and the one you say you believe. If you believe in me, then you believe in God. He who beholds me, verse 45, beholds the one who sent me. This is the capstone of everything that follows in this text. This is the high point. True belief begins with the acknowledgement of who Christ is. If you say you're a follower of mine, then there's an extricable link to God. If you say you're a follower of God, there's an extricable link to Jesus Christ. You cannot separate the two. That means that Jesus Christ is deity. That means that he is God. And his deity is of utmost importance in the doctrine of salvation. Why? Because it is through Christ alone that we know anything about God. It is through Jesus Christ alone that we know anything about God. Do you realize it was Jesus Christ who was doing the creating? Colossians clearly says that. All things were made by Him and through Him. Nothing was made that was made. Jesus Christ was doing the creating. Someone would say, well, general revelation tells us something about God. Yes, it does. It shows us His invisible attributes, the divine nature, the things you cannot see. And who is it speaking of? According to Colossians 1, it must be speaking of Jesus Christ as much as it's speaking of God the Father. Jesus Christ alone tells us about God. I remember several years ago when I was out in California at Grace Church on staff there, we had... Uh, the whole religious department from Brigham Young University sitting right in the front row of of Grace Community Church. They had come to the church because the head of the theological department at Brigham Young University was enamored with Dr. MacArthur and reading his book. And he found a real thought in his mind that there was a kinship about what they believed. Now where he got that, I don't know. And he wanted all of his staff from the school to come and hear this guy who wrote the book preach. And so there they are, sitting in the front row of Grace Community Church, all these Mormons from Brigham Young University. And afterwards, they wanted to meet with Dr. MacArthur to discuss their common beliefs. When I wasn't in the meeting, my brother happened to be in the meeting. And I said, what happened? That must have been an interesting meeting. And he said, well, it was pretty short, actually. I said, yeah, what happened? He said, well, Dr. MacArthur just simply said this. Well, how, how can I help you men? And, and they said, well, we, we just want to talk about Jesus, our common, that's our common belief. 
Dr. MacArthur said to them, well, I can say this to you. The only Jesus I know is the Jesus the Bible describes, and you don't believe in that Jesus, so you might call him Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus, so we don't have the same belief. And that discussion got really short. And uh, he shared the gospel with them, and they thanked him, and then they left. It's the same problem that every other religion has. They do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as God. That's the same problem. Buddhism refuses Christ. Hinduism refuses Christ. Islam refuses Jesus Christ. Mormonism, humanism, mysticism, all of those refuse Jesus Christ as God. Even Orthodox Judaism refuses the reality of Christ being God. You cannot be saved if you do not believe Jesus Christ is God. I heard tragic news this week. Tragic news of a professor who has spent 23 years in Israel as an extension campus professor for the Masters University who has now turned his back on the faith. Why? He no longer believes Jesus is Christ. He no longer believes in the deity of Christ. That just simply shows you were never saved. You cannot believe in God and not believe in Jesus Christ. The deity of Christ is essential. And anything and any time anyone refuses the deity of Christ, you are refusing the living and true God. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. If God did not intervene into our world and tell his story, if he did not tell us through the scriptures his story, and if he did not act in such a way as to show us who he is through Jesus Christ, then you and I have no verifiable knowledge of God. No verifiable knowledge. All we have is subjective views of what we might think God is. We can go throughout life and we can say with our intellectual wisdom that we know God like every other religion does. We can say that we believe that God is a loving God. We can think in our minds that God cares for people. But if we do not know Jesus Christ for who God said he is and for who he is in person as Jesus says he is right here, then all we have at best is an unverifiable thought. Jesus says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. We may, in fact, have our thinking right, but if we have no way of showing it, all it is is mere speculation about who God is. Jesus Christ shows us who God is. God tells his story through men carried along by the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And in there we have a sure knowledge of God. Why? Because it is in his word, it is through his word that we see the history and reality of Jesus Christ who shows us God personified. When you see me, see God. When you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. When you see me, verse 45, you see the one who sent me. The 
Apostle John says it this way in chapter 1, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14 says. Jesus has. Jesus could explain Him because He is God. So the only reason we know what God is like is because we can point to Jesus Christ. The only reason we know that God is compassionate, that God is love, that God cares, is not because only God said it, but because God has graciously showed it in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave what? His Son. We see His love expressed. We see His love personified in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ were not God, then Jesus could not have died for sin. Oh, he certainly might have died because of sin if he was not God, because then he would be just like us. But he could not have died for sin and in order to satisfy the penalty for sin if he was not God. The wages of sin is death. If he was not God, he would have deserved death just like we deserve death. If Jesus were not God, God would have never been satisfied with Christ. We would still be in our sins and He would still be in the grave. So we can fully know God, but we cannot fully know God separate from knowing Jesus Christ. They are inseparable, and that is why these, uh, in the previous verses, who say they believed are not saved. Because they say they know God, they say they believe, but they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They don't want to confess Jesus Christ before anybody. They are denying Christ, they are rejecting Christ, and by rejecting Christ, you are rejecting God. God's love because Jesus is loving. They know about God's holiness because Jesus is holy. We know about God's righteous anger against sin because Jesus is righteously angry against sin. And we know God because we know Jesus. When your children come to you and ask you to explain what God is like, just open the Bible and show them Jesus. Open the Scriptures and tell them about Jesus Christ. You will tell them everything about God. Point to Him because it's in Him that we see the One who sent Him. It's in Him that God is fully revealed. And the only way to love God and to worship God is to love and worship Jesus Christ. The two cannot be separated. So if you say you love God, then you must also love Jesus Christ. If you say you love God and you do not love Jesus Christ, how can you say you love God? So that is the first thing. You cannot say you believe in God and not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. The second thought that we have to ponder and proclaim is this. You cannot escape darkness. You cannot escape the principle, the place of sin, unless you believe in Christ. 
There is no escape system. There is no escape hatch. There is no ripcord that you could grab hold of or even think of holding to except Jesus Christ. Unless you know Christ, you will remain in the dark. Verse 46, Jesus clearly says that. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Once again, Jesus is referring to that metaphorical idea between what is truth and what is error, what is is, uh, purity and what is total contamination with sinfulness. The metaphor of light and the metaphor of dark. But it is not as many believe it to be here. Because the key word here is remain. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain. Many in the world and in the church will tell you that you have a choice to make as to whether you will have Christ or not. In one sense, there's a, there's a sense of truth to that. But it is not true that the choice is made from some neutral position. It is not true that there is a neutral zone in the middle between light and darkness and all men are there. Many claim to have some kind of man-made free will and they define it to say mankind in some kind of way somehow is in that neutral position between light and dark. He's got a free will within there and he has this choice he can make to go either way. He's not in the dark, he's not in the light, rather he's somewhere in between and he should just choose the light and not choose the darkness. So let's work very hard to convince him that the light is better than the darkness. And if we can convince him that the light is better than the darkness, he'll choose the right thing because it'll make more sense to him. Jesus says, no, no. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me may not remain in the darkness. You see, the issue isn't whether man can choose one or the other. For we know that John 6.44 says it is God that draws us to himself. No man comes to the Father. It is God who draws him. You must be drawn by God. So the issue at hand is that man is already in the dark. He is already there. That is his place. That's his condition. He is already in the realm, the domain of darkness. He needs to be delivered from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. He is in the state of lostness. And so it is still a question as to whether he will remain there or not. But his remaining has everything to do with his disbelief. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Here he says it again. I have come as light into the world. And that means, first, that apart from him, the entire world is in darkness. Apart from Christ, the entire world already remains in a state of sinful Condemnation. They are completely lost in darkness, even though man 
was made in the image of God who is light. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Even though we were made in the image of God, we are utterly blind. We are spiritually dead because of our dark hearts. And our spiritual minds cannot receive the light, as we saw last time, because they are defective receptors. Our, our spiritual eyes are defective in, in such a way, dead to the, to the light coming in, and they're dead that way by our own willful disobedience. All in Adam. And unless Jesus Christ changes the defection in our spiritual eyes so that we might receive the light, unless Jesus imparts the light, which is the truth of who he is, and that in him alone is righteousness, unless that takes place by the drawing of God, we remain in the dark. See, Jesus is telling these people in these final words, you cannot know God without knowing me. And you will not escape the blackness of your sinful condition and its spiritual blinding effects upon your very life unless you entrust yourself to me. You can't know God without coming to me, and unless you come to me, you will remain in the dark. I am God, and you are lost. That's what he said. I am truth. You are in the, you are in the, the domain of error, the domain of sin. And unless you come to me, the light, you will remain there. So if you want to claim to know God, then you better claim to know Jesus Christ because he is God. If you want to claim to be in the light, then you better claim to know Jesus Christ because He is the light. The third truth all men must realize is this. No one can blame God for judging disbelief. No one can blame God for judging disbelief because that's a natural thing that comes to my mind. If I'm going to believe in God, I have to believe in Jesus Christ. And if I'm to believe in Jesus Christ, I have to come to him who is the light because he is light. And yet that coming is from God. So if I don't come to God and I remain in the dark, obviously it's God's fault. No, no, you cannot blame God for judging disbelief. Every man... Can say it this way, every man is personally responsible before God. Notice verse 47 through 49. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, you see those two are connected? To not receive the sayings of Jesus is to reject Jesus Christ. So he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. And who is that? It's the word I spoke. That's what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. You see what I said? That links us back, back to where we were this morning with justifying faith. Justifying faith always takes God at his word. 
basic principle is this. Rejection and the penalty for rejection is our fault, not God's. It is clear that the first two truths that we already understand about genuine faith carry grave consequences if they are rejected in any way. In other words, Jesus is God. You can't reject that or you don't know God at all. You have no relationship. You can't reject the reality that Jesus is absolute truth. He is light. Jesus says himself in John 14, I am the truth. I am the life, right? Both of those have consequences if you reject them. There is an eternal consequence to those. There is a great danger then in unbelief for Anyone hears the words of Christ, Jesus says. If you hear, if you if you hear my sayings, the word hears means perceive with understanding. If anyone perceives my words with understanding, you hear with your mind. We all understand language. Even someone who can't hear physically understands language. That's all this is saying in this phraseology. Someone hears the words of Christ. Someone hears the gospel. Someone hears the truth of God. They hear the promise of God. They hear the reality of their condition in darkness. They hear all that God has said to them. They understand it in the language. It is in. It is linguistically in their language. It isn't confusing to them, but they do not keep it. If anyone hears my words, my sayings, and does not keep them, do not keep it. They do not live according to it. They don't believe it. The consequence? They judge themselves. They judge themselves. In other words, you cannot blame God if in the end you are judged for your rejection. Why? First, because Jesus says, I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to judge the world. I'm not going to judge you. I don't have to judge you. I came to save the world. The whole point of Jesus coming into the world was to bring life-saving words. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him. Matthew 18, verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Luke 9, 56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 1 Timothy 1, 15, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, Paul said. 1 John 4, 14, And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. How clear does it need to be? Christ came to save. And the future and eternal judgment that will come upon those who disbelieve is the natural consequence of their own disbelief. Hebrews 9.27 It's been appointed a man once to die and then judge. Ultimate and final judgment comes after we physically die. And even then, when it comes to the judgment for not believing in salvation, even then, the thing that will judge us is not Christ. 
The unbeliever isn't, doesn't need to be judged by Christ. Why? Because the very instrument of salvation, the words of Christ, will be judgment enough. So it is not God. Listen, it is not God who sends people to hell. Rather, it is men who send themselves to hell by refusing to believe God. No different. It's no different than a doctor, someone who says the doctor killed the man who refused to take the medicine to cure his disease. The doctor did not kill them. The doctor was sent to save. The medicine was there to give him life, and yet he refused to take the medicine, and that very reality of refusal is the very thing that killed him. Once again, the writer of Hebrews helps us understand this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 27. Right after he says, don't forsake the assembling of the body together. Right after that, in verse 26 and 27, he says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. He's saying, in essence, the same thing Jesus is saying here. Listen, I'm not going to judge you. I don't need to judge you. You've heard the truth. You've listened to it. And you haven't kept it. You've judged yourself. He who rejects me does not. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, verse 48, has one who judges him. He has one who judges him already. The idea is the judge is right there with him. What is it, the word I spoke? Is that what's going to judge him on the last day? The judgment comes through the rejection of Christ's words because they are God's words. This is what verse 49 tells us. I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. Jesus says, you reject me and you reject my sayings. Guess what? You're rejecting God. You're rejecting the very one who sent me. You're rejecting the very one I'm here to show you who he is. You're rejecting the very one in whom you are to believe. Jesus is saying, I'm not just telling you what I think. I'm not just telling you what I think to be right. This is the best option I can come up with in the time. No, I'm not just giving you some kind of philosophical talk about uh, how you can have true happiness for the rest of your days here on earth. No, what I tell you is not my independent thought. I didn't come here doing my own deal. These are the very words of God you say you know. These are the very words of the one you say we believe in, and yet you want nothing to do with me. And if you want nothing to do with me, you want nothing to do with God. And if you have nothing to do with me, you can't get out of the condition you're in. And if you want nothing to do with me, I'm not here to judge you. Your very words judge you. The very words of God that you say you know, even those. talking to a man some time ago about Christ. And the man said to me, I, I just 
I just don't believe like you believe. Like the doctor that Jill was talking to that said we must be reading two different Bibles. I just don't believe like you believe. I think, he said, God will accept all people. I think God will accept them. I've been a good person. God would never cast out those who are genuine in their goodness. Even if the goodness isn't really at the standard that we may think, as long as it's genuine, it'll be good. Listen, listen. Being genuine will not work for salvation before God. You can conjure up all the genuineness you want. It will not ever buy you salvation. Only knowing Jesus Christ. Only believing His words will give life eternal. Every other way is a false way. Every other way only leads to destruction. Jesus is crying this out to the people. Jesus is saying it with urgency to the people. It's, it's like the writer of Hebrews says, who says, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. It's kind of the urgency Jesus has here. So we must believe that Christ is God. We must believe that in Christ alone is life. We must realize to reject Jesus Christ is to reject God, and our rejection brings eternal death. Well, there's a fourth perspective. When a person rejects Christ, they reject eternal life. Verse 50 says, And I know that His commandment is eternal life. Verse 49 says, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. I know that His commandment is eternal life. Jesus says, the very things I'm saying to you are the very things God gave me, and and the purpose of what I'm saying and why I'm saying them is because in those words, if you would just follow the promise that I'm telling you, if you follow what God says, you will have eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak... I speak just as the Father has told me. You see, if you reject Jesus Christ, you reject eternal life. You can't say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with God or with Jesus Christ, but I, but I know God, I have a relationship with God, and oh, everything is good with God. No, you, uh, you know, I have a brother who tries to tell me, oh, God and I have an agreement. I'm okay. No, you're not. Here's the agreement. Believe in Jesus Christ or you're going to go to hell. That's the agreement. There is no other way. To believe in Christ is to believe the commandment of God. It's to take God at His word, to believe what He said. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce summarized it this way. He said, quote, The offer of salvation is an invitation, but at the same time, it's an invitation that is at the same time a command. It's an invitation, won't you believe? And yet it's a command, believe. 
Paul said to those who he preached to in Athens in Acts chapter 17, these words, that God overlooked their ignorance for a time, but now he, get this, commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands us to repent. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That word repent is an imperative. It is a command. You repent. It's not a suggestion. It's not a nice Hallmark card coming in the mail. It's a command. And so Jesus says, what I tell you, what I command you, is what God commands. The one who sent me commands it. And to reject me is to reject eternal life because to reject me is to reject His commands. That's the bottom line, isn't it? That's really the bottom line. When it comes to to salvation, you either believe what God said or you reject it. There is no central zone in which maybe I'm trying to figure all this out. No. You believe Or you don't believe. There is no middle ground. To reject Christ is to reject God who is the giver of life. It's that easy. You cannot have God without Christ. They are one. The matter of belief is not optional. It's not optional. It is required for all mankind. God commands it of everybody. Believe. Jesus is saying, I I, I wrote this so that you might believe. The outcome of disbelief is not just sin. The outcome of disbelief isn't that, well, yeah, I sinned a little bit. No, the outcome of disbelief is eternal condemnation. That's the outcome. final public words of Jesus Christ are an emphatic appeal to everybody. He's saying to everybody, won't you believe? Won't you believe? I came and I did and I spoke and I showed you and I said to you everything you need to know. interesting in John chapter 14 that Jesus will say to his disciples Passover he will say to them don't let your heart be troubled why on what basis should our hearts not be troubled Jesus don't let your hearts be troubled at what's taking place You believe in God? Then believe also in me. See? Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's an inseparable link. You cannot have a relationship with God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is Jesus' emphatic cry. Let's pray.
Father, once again, we thank you for our time tonight. What a joy it's been just to be together in your word this this day. How much we have learned about you and about saving faith and all that you accomplish on behalf of all of us who could not do it ourselves, who must be drawn to you by your great grace. We thank you for opening our eyes, for causing us to believe through the faith that has been a gift. Lord, uh, you know, we pray often for those who do not know Jesus Christ. We know in our in our church there are people, even now, sitting here even now, who maybe have claimed for years that they know you, but they don't know you. Lord, open their eyes, show them the truth, convict their hearts, help them to believe upon you alone, and that by believing in you they would have life in your name that they would begin to walk according to the faith that they proclaim, that the truth of you would resonate so deeply and strongly in their heart that they would walk by that faith even in the midst of trouble and difficulty and struggle. They wouldn't allow the, the confusion and the doubts that life brings to crowd it out and to push it aside, but that they would follow after you in spite of all of that. Thank you for Jesus Christ proclaiming it. Thank you for showing us so clearly the inseparable link between our Savior and the Father and the Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord. We proclaim it with loud voices that all might hear, that all might know that you are indeed the Savior of the world. Let us take this news now and spread it far and wide so that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray.